So, a wardrobe worth wearing. I have to begin by saying I feel kind of naked. I don't have a robe on. I don't have a tie on. Wow. Throughout my entire career, I've always had a tie on, not to mention most Sundays a robe. But here we are in the summer season at Neighborhood Church, knowing that some people love the robes and some people don't. And as Lincoln said, you can never please all the people all the time, and we never will here at the Neighborhood Church. So we're not going to try, but it is summer, and we're going to be in a more casual, relaxed uh, way of being for worship. And so uh, here we are, and I feel a little bit exposed. Um, We wear clothes for all different kinds of occasions. I mean, think about it. When you go to garden, you put on certain clothes, or if you're out in the yard working, or if you're recreating, if you're going for a jog or a walk, you usually put on tennis shoes, running shorts, whatever, or um, if you're playing tennis or golf or whatever it is you like to do, you put on clothes that are appropriate to that activity, right? I mean, and there are times when we're at home and nobody's around and we put on our grubbiest, most comfortable clothes just to lounge and relax. But when we come to church or go to special parties or occasions or even weddings, we get dressed up. We put on some of our finest clothes. All these different activities, we have different things in our wardrobe to dress up with. And it used to be that people came to church in their absolute, their what we call our Sunday finest, right? Women used to wear hats and gloves and all kinds of things. And the reason people got so dressed up on Sunday mornings was to show reverence and respect for God. But the longer I've lived and the more I've worked with kids and youth who you're lucky to get them to come to church in jeans and tennis shoes, God doesn't really care what we wear. God doesn't really care what we wear. You may have a different thought about that, but that's the conclusion I've come to. God doesn't give a rip about what we wear. So let's turn to uh, our scripture text, first from Romans, where Paul says, don't owe anyone anything. Don't owe anyone anything, but we're to love our neighbor as ourself, and he shares that after giving four of the last five commandments. Now, you know the commandments, right? Have no other gods before me. Make no graven images. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You're not supposed to murder, steal, commit adultery, bear false witness, or covet. You knew all those ten, right? Yeah, I thought you did. Okay, those are the ten. Paul gives four of the five, and he gives four of the five that have to do with how we treat our neighbor. And he said, if you do no wrong to your neighbor, then you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. Because love does no wrong. But as we know, we do from time to time do things we shouldn't do. We wrong our neighbor. 
Then Paul goes on to say that we need to wake up because the time is coming near and the night's almost over and the day is almost at hand. And he talks about some of the behaviors that can go on at night when it's dark and we think nobody's noticing. He gives some of those behaviors. And I wouldn't be honest if I didn't say that, well, if you think about, for those who have been around for the last year or two, we have had a period of what has at times felt like darkness here at the neighborhood church. We've had some things that have happened, some behaviors that have gone on that have not been becoming of people of the light. And that's a difficult thing to acknowledge, but it's true. We've it was just less than a year ago this weekend that we had a vote that was very difficult and painful for our congregation. And there were a lot of behaviors going on at the time that were very difficult and painful. We've come a long way in a year, but we have to acknowledge where we've been. I want to share a little thought that comes from an anonymous Ten. Ten little Christians were standing in a line. One didn't like the preacher, then there were nine. Nine little Christians stayed up late, one slept on Sunday morning, then there were eight. Eight little Christians on the road to heaven, one took the low road, then there were seven. Seven little Christians in an awful fix, one didn't like the music, then there were six. Six little Christians seemed very much alive, one lost interest, then there were five. Five little Christians wished there were more, but they quarreled with each other, and then there were four. Four little Christians, cheerful as could be, one lost his temper, then there were three. Three little Christians knew what to do, but one joined the crowd, then there were two. Two little Christians, our rhyme is almost done, differed with each other, then there was one. One little Christian, one her neighbor true, brought her to church, and then there were two. Two earnest Christians, each one one more, that doubled their number, so then there were four. Four sincere Christians worked very late, each one another, and then there were eight. Eight splendid Christians, but nothing rhymes with sixteen. So we simply say that with three more jingles, there would be 24,336 earnest Christians, which would be a great church anywhere. Paul tells us to put away the behaviors of darkness and to put on the armor of light and to put on Christ. To put on Christ. When you get dressed in the morning, who do you put on? I mean, we put on Ralph Lauren. Vera Wang, uh, Armani, uh, we put on, come on, Hel Tommy Helfiger, Jacques C. Penet, T.J. Mox. I mean, we put on all kinds of different clothing, right, to either impress or to feel good about ourselves when we put on our clothes. But have you ever thought of putting on Christ? I, I tried that this morning when I got up before I put on my shirt and jacket. Um, 
I thought I just reflected for a few moments about putting on Christ and what that might be like. So I want to encourage you when you get dressed in the morning to think about putting on Christ. But even that's a bit generic because we know when we've behaved poorly, as there has been in our history here, that as Christians we need to put on Christ. We need to let Christ be preeminent in our behaviors and how we treat each other, how we live. But that's generic. And so this past year, our church leadership uh, thought it would be wise to come up with some guidelines and some help for how we might treat each other, how we might behave. And so a committee was appointed back in the fall and they did some work. And then they reached out to other groups in the church and leadership boards to get input. And nearly 100 people gave input to a piece that's called Our Church Culture. You'll find it in your program. It's listed in the program, Our Church Culture. Um, And it's a very important document. It's not meant to serve as a way of chastising people. It's, It's meant to be a way of positively encouraging us in how we treat each other in the Christian life. And so, drawing on Scripture, the group wanted to be more specific than just simply putting on Christ, which is pretty general. But Paul goes on in his letters to talk about how we're to treat each other in the church. That's what the letters of Paul were written for. Because there were there was contentiousness. There was backbiting and fighting in the early church in the first century. And Paul knew that. And he loved the churches he helped to plant and grow. And so he offered these letters to help them get their act together. And so we use as a guiding statement from Scripture before we list some of the specific things that are in the Our Church Culture document, we use Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And here's what it says. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Forbear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. If you want, you can read it. It's right there in your program. Compassion. Compassion comes from a Greek word that means to feel something in your guts. To feel something so strongly that you have compassion for another human being who's hurting or suffering that you feel it deeply in your gut. And kindness. Kindness is to be gracious to others even when they don't deserve it. And and I just want to I'm going to ask you to forbear with me because I'm going to turn my back on you, which is what the choir sees most of the time. And I want to turn and say to the choir, we thank you for your kindness, for your service, for your commitment. Um, Most of you give up almost every single Thursday night 
to be here for rehearsals, and then you come early on Sunday morning to prepare for what is only a few minutes of music during the service. But what a wonderful and beautiful offering that is. And so we say thank you. Thank you for your kindness and your gifts of music. Humility. We're not supposed to think so much about ourselves. It's, it's hard not to because there are times when we think we're pretty special. The great Chinese sage Lao Tzu once said, Know yourself, don't show yourself. Think well of yourself, but don't tell of yourself. Meekness or gentleness. This does not mean being milk toasty or, you know, wishy washy. It means having a strength, but not always having to have the last word. Jesus was meek in the face of Pontius Pilate. That didn't mean he was, he was weak. It simply meant he knew when to speak and when not to speak. And patience. Patience doesn't mean just letting, sitting back and letting anything happen. It knows when to be an active, waiting presence with others who may be struggling or trying to discern something in their lives. But patience is truly a virtue. And then we're to forbear with each other. I just asked you to forbear, um, but we're to forbear with each other. Because we're never all going to see things the same way. We're never going to like things exactly the same way. We have to forbear with each other. Dave and I talk about this with music all the time. There's no way we can ever get it right every Sunday to have hymns and all the music so that every single one of you likes every single thing that's been done. This can't happen. So, hopefully, the majority of music speaks to you. And then if there's a piece you don't care for, Will you forbear with the other person down the road because that may be just the peace they love. That's what it means to forbear in Christian community. We can't have our way all the time, but there seems to be something going on in our society that people think they can get everything they want all the time and it has to be their way. It just doesn't work that way, folks. Not life in community, not life in a country, and certainly not life here at the neighborhood church. We have to forbear with each other and then we have to forgive each other. We're not always going to please each other. We're going to disappoint each other. We times may hurt each other, maybe unintentionally, but we're called to forgive each other. And so the document, Our Church Culture, has nine points. I just want to lift up three this morning, because next week we'll lift up another three. The three for this morning are recognize... Recognize the worth and dignity of every human being by showing love and respect, courtesy, and empathy. Two, by seeking to treat others as we want to be treated. And three, by seeking to listen and understand before speaking.
Those are three specific behaviors, ways of being and ways of treating others that we are called to be in Christian community, born out of that passage from Colossians and how we clothe ourselves. So by recognizing the worth and dignity of every human being, what I said at the beginning of the service, we welcome and are open and affirming of every single person who would wish to come through the doors of the neighborhood church. Because we recognize the value of each person. And each one of us is a child of God. None more special than another. Each different and distinctive and unique, yes. But none of us better than anyone else. We're all God's children. That's what it means to show respect and to love one another. And then to treat others as we want to be treated. That's sort of like the golden rule. As Paul said in Romans, love your neighbor as yourself. And then seek to listen and understand before speaking. You know, it's so typical when we get into arguments or disagreements. It's so tempting to start thinking about everything you want to say to win the argument that you've already, you're starting to get all that stuff stacked up in your mind so that as soon as the other person just takes a breath, you can jump right in there, control the conversation, and try to win the argument. But when we have disagreements, I tell wedding couples this all the time. God gave us two ears and one mouth that we might listen twice as much as we speak. But when we get into an argument, we tend to talk too much because we're trying to win the argument rather than listening and trying to understand where the other person's coming from. Don't have to agree with the other person. Don't have to feel the way the other person does. But to take time to sit and listen, truly listen to the other person. That's part of what it means. So these are some of the things. I commend the, the statement that's in your program um, to take a look at it, to live with it, to read it over several times. You don't have to memorize it, but become familiar with it enough so that it helps guide your living as a Christian person. Because if you put these values on, you're going to find it's a wardrobe worth wearing. It's a wardrobe worth wearing. But the final word with which we'll end this morning is above all, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. May it be so for us today and in all the days to come. Amen.